makes me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down, the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. This is the Conquer Local podcast, a show about billion-dollar sales leaders, marketers leading local economic growth, and entrepreneurs that have created their dream organizations. They want to share their secrets, giving you the distilled version of their extraordinary feats. Our hope is with the tangible takeaways from each episode, you can rewire, rework, and reimagine your business. I'm George Leith, and on this episode, we're very proud to feature Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen is the author of several books, including the New York Times number one international bestseller, The Happiness Project. Her books have sold 3.5 million copies and have been published in more than 30 different languages. Millions of people read her blog every year, where she reports on her daily adventures in the pursuit of happiness and habits. Ruben is in demand as a speaker on TV at places such as Google, LinkedIn, Accenture, Facebook, Procter & Gamble, Yale, Harvard, and Wharton schools, and at conferences like South by Southwest, World Domination Summit, and The Atlantic. On her popular weekly podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, she discusses happiness with her sister Elizabeth Kraft. It was named an iTunes list of the best podcasts of 2015 and won the Academy of Podcasters Best Health and Fitness Podcast in 2016. Get ready, Conquerors. Gretchen Rubin is coming up next on this week's episode of the Conquer Local Podcast. Well, for those of you that know me, <laughs> know that I talk about my morning routine quite a bit, and we thought, what if we were to bring in Gretchen, who is an expert on talking about morning routines and why George can't stick to it? Um, so, you know, Gretchen, there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about because of uh, all of the, you know, in the intro, we talked about your books and the material that you've been producing. But I, let's kick it off with the morning routine. Why can't people stick to a morning routine? I put it in the calendar. I try to make it work. And then, you know, three or four weeks in, I'm like, yeah, I'm not following that anymore. Well, um, this was a, when I was researching habits um, for my book, Better Than Before, this was a question that I was very preoccupied with. Why is it that sometimes we seem to form habits very easily and sometimes they just do not seem to stick? Why do some people seem able to pick up habits pretty easily? Other people, it's like such a huge effort. How do you explain those differences? And that's what led me to figure out my four tendencies personality framework, because it turns out that there are four types of people, upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And when you look at why people find it challenging to do something like form a, a morning routine, it, it's often due to the fact that they've tried to set it up in a way that's not right for their tendency. So they've got a good tool, but they haven't figured out how to use it correctly. So, you know, there is a litany of tools that we can find. The internet's made that really easy for us to find them, but they may not map to who, who we are. And, and that's yes. why these things fall apart is what I'm, what I'm hearing from you. Yes. 
Um, we always have to, there's no one right way. There's no one best way. Um, it really depends on the person. So say something with a morning routine, something as simple as, are you a morning person or a night person? Like if you say, oh, I'm going to get up early and go for a 45 minute jog before work. If you're a night person, you are not setting yourself up for success because you're at your most uh, productive and creative and energetic later in the day. And um, and so it's not that there's anything wrong with the idea. And of course, I, on paper, I can show you so many reasons why it is a good idea to go for a run first thing in the day. But the best run is the run you take, <laughs> not the <laughs> theoretical run that you never do. Um, and so we really have to think about what's right for us. Um, and back to the four tendencies, what you see is that obligers really need accountability. So they're the people that do really well when they go for a walk with a friend who's counting on them or they take their dog for a run who's going to be so disappointed if she doesn't get to go, or they work out with a trainer who um, is expecting them to show up and is charging them either way. Um, but some people don't really need accountability. They'll go for their own reasons. And so when you understand what kind of person you are, you're much better able to set yourself up for success. When you were researching the book, and by the way, it's brilliant, Four Tendencies, oh, um, did, you know, did you interview a bunch of people? Like, where, where did the idea of these four tendencies come from? Well, you know, it came, the, the first inkling I had uh, came from two pieces of information that I couldn't make sense of. First is I was talking to a friend about um, what made her happier. And uh, my sister calls me a happiness bully because I can kind of get up in your face if I think there's a way for you to be happier. And she said something that that I had heard many times before in different versions. She said, I don't understand it. I know I'm happier when I exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team. So why can't I go running now? Well, why? It's the same person. It's the same behavior. At one time, it was effortless. Now she can't do it. I can think of many possible explanations, but how do you account for that? Then I also, because I often ask people about New Year's resolutions, because if you're interested in happiness and good habits, like this is something that comes up a lot. There was a group of people where if I asked them about New Year's resolutions, they would look indignant and they would say, I would not keep a New Year's resolution. January 1st is an arbitrary date. I'll make a resolution whenever it makes sense to me. And I thought, well, that's interesting because the arbitrariness of January 1st never really bothered me, but they all use that word arbitrary. And it took me months of like the sweat pouring down my face with intellectual exertion to figure out that this framework, the four tendencies framework, which looks at something that's that seems obscure, but turns out to be really significant, which is how we respond to expectations. Because we all face outer expectations, like a work deadline, and we all have inner expectations, like my own desire to get back into meditation. And it turns out that depending on whether we meet or resist outer or inner expectations, that's what makes us an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. And it also has tremendous consequences for how we most effectively set up our habits. So how do we know which one of the four we are? Okay, uh, that is the most fun. Um, once you know these categories, they are very obvious. I can do the Game of Thrones characters. I can do the Parks and Rec characters. These are like, you will see them all around you. Um, I will give a brief explanation and most people will instantly know what they are. You'll, you know, your whole team will probably know what you are, who you are. Um, but there is a quiz. If you go to GretchenRubin.com slash four tendencies, F-O-U-R tendencies, you can take a free quick quiz, like three and a half million people have taken that quiz and it will give you an answer in like a little report, but it, most people don't even need to do that. Okay, so upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline, they keep the new year's resolution without much fuss. 
Uh, they want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners, questioners, question all expectations. They'll do something only if they think it makes sense. They don't like anything arbitrary, like January 1st, or ineffective or unjustified. They have to know why. So once they're making everything an inner expectation, if it meets their inner standard, they will do it no problem. If they decide it fails their inner standard, they will resist. So their motto is, I'll comply if you convince me why. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So this explains my friend on the track team. When she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she showed up no problem. But when she's trying to go uh, running on her own, it was a challenge. Obligers need outer accountability, even for inner expectations. They they are good at keeping their promises to other people, but they, they need accountability to keep uh, their promises to themselves. So their motto is... You can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. And by the way, this is the biggest tendency for both men and women. This, you, you either are an obliger or you have many obligers in your life. Um, and then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if you ask or, if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically they don't tell themselves what to do. Like they don't say, oh, I'm going to get up at 6.30 a.m. and go for a run every single day because they think, I don't know what I'm going to want to do tomorrow morning when I wake up. And just the idea that somebody's telling me to do it bugs me. Even if it's me telling me to do it, <laughs> it bugs me. So their motto is, you can't make me and neither can I. Um, and so those are the four tendencies and how you set up a habit is very influenced by what works best for your tendency. Well, that, you know, they make a lot of sense and I appreciate the explanation. The one question I have, Gretchen, I just came through a session where we had our leadership uh, on-site for Q4 at the company. They bring in Deloitte. Deloitte does business chemistry. So think DISC, if you haven't saw the Deloitte program, sure. it's the DISC profile. What's the difference between your four tendency framework and you know those traditional Myers-Briggs or DISC oh. or business chemistry? What, where, where do you line up against that? Or are they complementary? Or you know, how, how, have you thought about that? Yes, absolutely. And now I'm a big fan of personality frameworks. And I think each has its strength, like each kind of has its own vocabulary and its own strength. And I think you kind of lose the nuance if you try to map them on top of each other. So I sort of say, like, let them each kind of dial in and, and certain vocabulary, certain metaphors will resonate more with different people or in different circumstances. What is different about the four tendencies is it's very narrow. Something like Myers-Briggs or DISC tries to kind of explain your whole personality. This, does, the four tendencies does not. We can take 50 questioners and line them up and how ambitious they were, how creative they were, how extroverted or introverted they were, how adventurous they were, how analytical they were, how curious they were. All that would be different. We couldn't predict any of that. We don't know anything about these people except we know one thing. If I ask or tell them to do something, they will all look at me and say, why should I? Because what they want to know is why. So this only goes to how you respond to expectations. And so it's narrow, but it turns out this, this, is, this actually is a very significant aspect. And it comes up a lot like in teams um, because we're either trying to make ourselves do something or we're trying to make somebody else do something. Mm -hmm. And either way, the four tendencies. But it doesn't tell you other kinds of things like, do you thrive in a big group? 
well, your tendency doesn't say anything about that. Sometimes people are like, oh, all rebels are creative. And I'm like, no, being a rebel doesn't tell us anything about whether you're creative or not. You might be, but we don't know that from the fact that you're a rebel. That doesn't give us that we don't that doesn't give us that information. The one the reason why I'm I'm asking is because when I look at these four tendencies, I'm starting to measure uh, people that I'm interacting with. And you mentioned people on your own team, but this is this podcast is about entrepreneurship and sales and the salespeople on the listening end are saying, how do I know when my prospect or my customer is one of these? And, yeah. and then do I relate to them differently with this information, with what we're learning here today? Yeah, hundred percent. You should ref- you should you should uh, you should take it into consideration. So, and and this comes up a lot. I hear I I hear this question in this context a lot. So here are some things that you might think about um, in the in this context. So one is you might have somebody who's asking you question after question to the point where you're like, this person doesn't trust my judgment. This person isn't like they have no faith in me. Like or or like I don't understand. Like I feel very defensive because they keep questioning, questioning, questioning. But if you understand that questioners like that's how they relate. That's how they get on board. And you have to be patient um, and go through that process with them, because then they if they do decide that, you know what you're talking about and, you know, they think you're you know, um, they will follow suit. But they have to get to that comfort level. And I will say that to the other three tendencies, often the questioner's questioning can seem draining and overwhelming. And so it's often the case that other tendencies find those questionings, it kind of puts them on edge um, and they misinterpret it. They don't understand that the questioner is truly just trying to understand. Um, And so maybe have a little bit more patience and understand that the person isn't signaling to you um, disrespect, they're just trying to get on board. No, and you might also, if you're thinking about a rebel, one thing you want to be very careful about when you're dealing with a rebel is you do not want to tell them what to do or what to think. Now, you might think, oh, I would never tell a client what to do or what to think. But we do this more often than we think. Even something like, hey, George, you have a good day. It's like, I never have a good day. Who are you to tell me to have a good day? Or like, well, get back to me to the end of the day. It's like, who are you to tell me when to get back to you? With a rebel, you really want to frame it in terms of choice and option. And like, if you want this, then that. It's like, oh, well, you know what? If I can hear from you by the end of the week, I think I can get you a $1,000 discount. Um, but if that doesn't work for you, that's okay. And it's like, you can get to me, you can get me the information sooner and I can maybe get you a discount. If you don't want to deal with it, you can pay a little bit more, totally up to you. But again, it's always like, if this works for you, if this is convenient, if this is what you want, um, I'm here for you. I have what you might want. Um, but you want to be very careful not to ignite the spirit of resistance by saying, like, get back to me by this time. Um, let me know. Um, you said you would. Things like that that make the rebel feel um, like you're tell- you're trying to tell them what to do or limit. And they, and they also, like, they love options and choices and freedom. So you can say something like, oh, look, you know, take all week. Like, think about it. Kick it around. You know, there is no rush. Like, we want this to work for you. Um, just like whenever you want to get started, um, you know, let me know. And really preserving that that sense that that they are choosing um, what they want. Um, and then with obligers, you, it really helps to have that accountability. So you could try to create certain kinds of deadlines or, or limit something like, um, I would love to hear from you by Friday because then I can close out my books or um, it would be great to hear from you by Friday because that's going to let me plan ahead so um, I can I can schedule the appointments that I know you're going to want. So it's sort of like I'm waiting for you. I need to hear from you because until you get back to me, somehow I can't move forward or I'm depending on you. And 
I, we know when that is. It's not like whenever you want, it's like by the end of the month. Um, and that is, uh, that often works much better for obligers in terms of like that back and forth. So we're playing into the tendencies and I, you know, I'm just working on a, on a lecture series around prospecting. And one of the things that, that I'm, I'm trying to teach sales reps is that people ghost. That's just the way it is. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you're a new sales rep, you're like, oh, it's 62% of my people are ghosting me. Okay. Well, when you get, if you're here three years from now, it'll be 62% again, or maybe even more because it's just the way that people are. But when I read through this, I'm thinking this might be a rebel that is ghosting you because you try to dial them in and they just don't want to be told what to do. So by looking at the tendencies, there may be a reason why they're ghosting or maybe on, yeah. on the, uh, on the obligers, you didn't dial it in with a little bit more accountability. And that's why they're ghosting you is because you didn't meet them where those tendencies, you know, where their, their core tendencies are. Right. Or maybe with a questioner, you said something that struck them as arbitrary or kind of capricious, like, well, we've always done it this way, or I don't know, this is what corporate wants, or, you know, I don't know why we do it that way, but like, this is just the way it has to be. And they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so it's much more like there's reasons like, oh, there's a reason for that. You know, we, we have, yeah. So I think you're right. When you, when you don't make that connection, um, it's really worth thinking about whether there's some kind of conflict with tendency, because as you might predict, most of us go through the world, assuming that other people are more or less like we are. And we tend to like very much play to our tendency. Um, now I'm in a polder, which is the second to smallest tendency and boy, it sure explained to me a lot about the world and how I was different from a lot of other people when I understand like, oh, I'm in a polder and they're not that many upholders. And I really can't go through the world treating other people like me because there aren't that we're, we're a pretty small group. We're like, you know, less than one fifth of the population is upholders. So it doesn't, it doesn't serve me well to treat everybody like an upholder. I like what you said earlier too, that, that, that these are across, it doesn't matter. Like we had Matt uh, Pollard on the show here a couple of months back um, where he's talking about introverts can sell and uh, pretty obvious yeah. that I'm not an introvert, although I seem to be having more introverted tendencies lately, but you're saying that these are across the, the entire spectrum. You could be introverted or extroverted, and then you dial into one of these. So how, how do I, we can take the we can take the quiz. Um, yeah. as you mentioned, but is there some that just hits you in the head when you, when you see these, like on the upholders, it's a list. They send you an agenda for a meeting, oh, uh, pretty good chance they're an upholder. Um, right. Are there certain like things that just flag it for you quickly? Yeah. Anything like anything that's very execution focused, like lists, calendars, that kind of thing that does tend to be upholder. It can also be obliger that they mm -hmm. often do it um, because they're very like, they're very good at meeting outer expectations. So if, if you and I are working together, then this is an outer expectation. So in that way, upholders and obligers will look alike because they both readily meet outer expectations. Um, anytime someone is insisting on understanding why or wanting efficiency or wanting justification or wanting to customize, these are indicators of uh, questioner. Usually when I'm trying to figure out somebody's uh, tendency, I can get them to the word arbitrary in like, five minutes. Like they just really don't like things that are arbitrary. So that's often a big red flag. Um, uh, if you, um, in, in fact, if, if you're looking for kind of um, a nutshell guide to the four tendencies, or if you're looking for a way 
to try to figure out someone's tendency without asking them to take the quiz. You're trying to kind of diagnose them on the fly. If you go to my website, GretchenRubin.com slash resources, and you look under the four tendencies, there's like a cheat sheet that you can look at so that because it's not what someone necessarily, it's not necessarily what they say. It's kind of like the overall meaning. So if somebody keeps asking you questions and like saying like, well, why are you doing this? And how about that? And can you explain this to me? You're like, okay, I'm getting questioner here. If somebody keeps pushing back and insisting on spontaneity, like rebels often, like they really highly value spontaneity um, and like making up your mind, like at the moment that it matters, um, that's a sign of rebel. Um, yeah, if anything, it backed up holders, if anything, um, upholders are rigid. So if you're dealing with somebody where you're like, wow, this is a person who's like so committed to the calendar, so committed to the to-do list that they like really cannot pivot. It's like, I'm, I'm thinking, mm, that sounds like upholder. I'm an upholder and, um, definitely, uh, we are rigid. <laughs> we can get, doesn't seem rigid to us. Um, but others often say that we are rigid. Gretchen, of all of the guests that we've had, you were three minutes early. For the media, yeah. upholder. <laughs> yes, <laughs> your That's number right. one New York Times bestseller, The Happiness Project, a year-long journey that you embarked on to truly figure out the big question: What am I doing? I do have to note, T Bone, our sound engineer, when we got in the episode, he went and grabbed the book. He had your book, The Happiness Project. So I'd Excellent. love to talk about it. Congratulations on all your success as an author. But let's talk specifically about The Happiness Project because. You know, we're, I think all of us could do a little bit better, a little bit more happiness. Absolutely. Yes. And I think for most of what I've found is that for most people, there's kind of low hanging fruit. Um, you know, it's very easy in the tumult of everyday life to just be focusing on the day to day and not step back and ask ourselves big questions like, how could I be happier? Um, but I think for most people, when they do step back and ask themselves that question, they see things, you know, things that they could do as part of an ordinary day, you know, without spending a lot of time, energy or money, because for a lot of people, time, energy and money are in short supply, but just little things that can, you know, little changes that can add up to quite a big boost in our happiness. So it, is there, there's a formula then to happiness or are there questions that we need to ask ourselves to to unearth these what's the methodology that you're professing here that is a great question and when i and and happiness can feel so like abstract and transcendent and everything's tangled up and everything else i couldn't like when i started researching it i could not figure out like how do i even approach this okay so here's a really helpful way to think about your life and you can you can you can dial into any of these four um these four or you can think about all four together so when you're thinking about your, your life and how to be happier, you should think about feeling good, feeling bad, feeling right, and an atmosphere of growth. So feeling good, that's very obvious. If you want to live a happier life, you want to feel good. You want more joy, more enthusiasm, more love, more friendship, more engagement, like more of the things that make you feel good. But you also want to think about the things that make you feel bad. What makes you feel angry, resentful, bored, indignant? guilty and think about, well, are there ways that I could kind of bring up the bottom? Like, are there ways to, so I'm not feeling bored? Are there ways that I could not feel resentful? Um, and to sort of, it, how can I not feel like physically uncomfortable in my office? Like, oh, maybe I need an office chair, a new office chair. Um, so that's feeling good, feeling bad. And then there's feeling right. Feeling right is, do, do you feel like your life reflects your values? Are you living the life that you want? And sometimes to live a life that reflects our values, 
we do things that don't make us feel good. Um, so you might say like, well, I'm going to visit the sick relative in a hospital and I hate hospitals. And I was, and my, my relative was like never that nice to me. And so I don't look forward to it with pleasure. I don't enjoy it when I'm there. I kind of dread going again. And yet I feel like that's the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to show up for this person in my family who's in the hospital. So I'm living up to my values and that's part of happiness, even though it doesn't really make me feel good. Then finally, there's atmosphere of growth. And the atmosphere of growth is the fact that we feel happier when we're growing, when we're learning or teaching, when we're fixing, when we're improving, when we're stretching. And this is a great engine of happiness, even when if like a lot of things are sort of not going well, if you're like, oh, maybe I can tutor somebody in English as a second language, or I can volunteer at this organization that I admire and fix their books, which are a mess, or maybe I can learn Spanish or um, I can get back into practicing the guitar every day, or I can even just like clean up the basement. You know, having that atmosphere of growth um, is also an engine of happiness. So just about anything that you would think about, it's like you could think about feeling good, feeling bad, feeling right, and an atmosphere of growth. And um, so those are good ways to sort of tackle the big complicated question of like, how can I be happier? Which feels like an impossible question to answer. Well, I'm <laughs> so I'm big. feeling as I listen to you that you you believe that happiness can be can be created or manufactured if you really take a good look at what's going on. Am, am I am I hearing you correctly? Well, that's an excellent question. So about research shows that about 50% of our happiness levels are genetically determined. So a lot of that is just hardwired. Um, some people are tiggers. Um, from Winnie the Pooh. Some people are Eeyores from Winnie the Pooh, and, and we see that in everyday life. Then about 10 to 20% is something called life circumstances. So that's things like um, age, income, health, occupation, marital status, those kinds of things. Then all the rest is very much um, a consequence of our, uh, of our conscious thoughts and actions. So that's where we can really make a big difference. So would I say that someone has complete control over their happiness? Absolutely not. Of course, many, many, many things come into play and affect our happiness levels, things that are, aren't in our control, that are sort of in our control, but sort of not in our control, uh, consequences of decisions we made a long time ago, all that kind of thing. But that said, are there things within our conscious control um, that can make a difference? Then I would say, yes, there are things that are within our conscious control. We can't totally control it, but we can influence it. It's amazing. In two topics, we've covered off the tendencies, and I, I'd learned so much from that, and it's just another lens that I hadn't really considered when it comes to personality profiles and, and how to relate to people. And then over here, you got me thinking that I, maybe there's some things that I could do to be a hell of a lot more happier next year if I just paid attention Excellent. to them. So Excellent. I really appreciate that. Gretchen, you know, off the top, when we did the intro, I told everybody you're from New York, and then we heard the sirens in the background, so we oh, knew you, you were from. It's, it's all good though. That's that's about as New York anymore. as it goes. <laughs> but we really appreciate you joining us. You mentioned earlier the the website. Kudos mm -hmm. on your website, by the way. It's brilliant, um, and that's where we can find out more about your titles that you've authored because these are just two of a number of books that you've written, and we're going to make sure that we put all of the contact information inside the show notes. But the Last thing that I wanted to ask, because we always love to leave something that our listeners can take and use. So from the four tendencies, is there anything that our listeners would be able to take and just use tomorrow, aside from the quiz and the, and the learnings that you gave us today? 
Yes, it's it's really wrapping your mind around the idea that other people may not be like you and something that you feel like, well, every sensible person in the world would respond to lots of documentation, giving lots of backup resources or everybody in the world does better with accountability or everybody in the world does better with a lot of options and choices. It's like, maybe not. Um, we're all different. And so to really think about what's true for you and what might be true for someone else and that they just may not be the same thing. It sounds so obvious. And yet over and over, I find myself slipping into the trap of thinking that other people see the world the, the way I do. I didn't even hear those sirens, George. <laughs> My brain has has let, takes those out. It doesn't tell me anymore because there are too many. Um, so we even live in a different physical world because my world doesn't have the sound of sirens until you pointed it out. I don't think that anyone listening would say, yeah, I have too, way too much happiness. <laughs> There's too much, <laughs> too much happiness. So one, one thing that we could do in 2022 to find a little bit more happiness from all the mm, research yeah. you did in the happiness project. Look, ancient philosophers, ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that if you had to pick one thing that is the key to happiness, probably you would say relationships. To be happy, we need to have strong, intimate bonds. We need to feel like we belong. We need to feel like we can confide. And we feel like we need to feel like we can um, get support. And just as important for happiness, we need to be able to feel like we can give support. And so if you are thinking about what you can do in 2022, anything that deepens relationships, like gets you closer to the people who are already important to you um, or broadens your relationship, which like it expands the number of people who you feel like you have a significant relationship with. Those are things that are very likely to boost your happiness. Really relationships are a key. Gretchen Rubin joining us this week. One of the commitments that we have to our listeners here on the Conquer Local podcast is to give you great thought leaders like Gretchen so that we can learn some things and, and that commitment of constant improvement is one of the things that we want to bring to the show. And Gretchen, you did that in spades. Thank you so much for joining us. By the way, there was another siren there while you were talking. I know. About What's going on? This one I heard. <laughs> Gretchen Rubin joining us this week at the Conquer Local Podcast. Thank you so much. We'll let you get back to the sirens and the bustle of New York City. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. We can't thank Gretchen enough for sharing your stories this week. Here's our team's top three takeaways from this episode. Why can't we stick to that morning routine? If you're managing your family's morning routine or dealing with an unpredictable work schedule, it can be very tough to establish a solid routine. That's the reality. But sometimes we can't stick to the morning routine because we're not wired that way. That's not the tendency that we have. How do we know which of those four tendencies we are? The best way is to take the quiz on our website, which we will put the link in the show notes. But here are those four tendencies. Upholders meet inner and outer expectations. The point that she made in the episode was the discipline is my freedom idea. Questioners have to know why. Everything is inner expectation. I'll comply if you convince me why. Obligers could run the track meet because the coach set the expectations. And now they're not able to do certain things if they don't have that outer expectation setting. So they perform a lot better if they've got a companion to go on the task or they have a coach. And then rebels, well, the word speaks for itself. Don't tell me what to do. 
Oh, by the way, I can't tell me what to do either. (laughs) How do you feel happier in 2022? We got to realize that other people aren't like you. Really considering what's true for you and that other people are different. And the one thing that leads to the key to happiness is the need to have strong, intimate bonds, like we belong to something, like we can confide in someone, like we can give and get support. Anything that deepens relationships or expands the number of people you have relationships with will lead you to more happiness in 2022. If you like Gretchen's episode discussing the psychology of happiness, it's just one of over 200 episodes we produced in the last four years to help you conquer local. If you found value in this episode, we ask you to please leave us a review wherever you consume your podcasts. This feedback will help us grow and better adapt to what you want to hear in the coming season. Be sure to subscribe to the Finney Award-winning Conquer Local podcast as we continue to welcome extraordinary sales leaders, marketers, and entrepreneurs like Gretchen. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local podcast presented by Vendasta. Guest discovery by Jacob Soley. Marketing by Rory Lawford and Nicole Lozon. Produced by Brett Clarenbach. Executive producers Brendan King, George Leith, and Colleen McGrath. Recorded at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.